0: Hey everyone, it's Producer Jay here. This week's Darts and Letters is a bit different. Gordon recorded an episode with Big Shiny Takes. They are our colleagues on the Harbinger Media Network. Eric Wickham, Jeremy Appel and Marino Greco chat shit about the week's worst takes from whichever dumbass columnist has gone full galaxy brain. It's always a really funny and cathartic listen and Gordon had a ton of fun recording this so we wanted to share it with our own listeners too. I know we've also picked up a few subscribers from Big Shiny Takes recently, so if you have heard this already on their feed, maybe take this week to scan through our back catalogue. We had Eric, Jeremy, and Marino on episode 41, Canada's Dumbest Public Intellectuals, and that's a fun lesson. Everyone else, here's Big Shiny Takes with special guest Gordon Kattick. <coughs> Hey everyone, you're listening to another episode of Big
1: Shiny Takes. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Wickham, and I'm joined as always by my two wonderful co-hosts, Marino Greco.
2: Salutations,
1: comrade. Salutations. And Jeremy Appel. Howdy. Yeehaw. I'm
3: coming at you from uh, Calgary. It's almost stampede season.
1: Cowtown, Alberta—that's what people in Calgary call it. I've been told.
3: Yeah, um, it's like Hogtown for Toronto. Yes, but we're Cowtown. Yes, yes,
1: and we're joined by a very special guest this week. Uh, we have our Harbinger colleague, uh, the host of Darts and Letters, uh, Gordon Caddick. Gordon, welcome.
4: Hello, hello. And uh, Dobrodan. Don. We were just yes. talking about our our Balkan roots, and I feel like I have to represent, but. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Oh, Dover Don. (laughs) I'm
1: so excited. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is so much fun when you meet someone who's also from the Balkans, because then it just becomes like the thing that you talk about the next time you see them.
4: The funny thing about when you meet people in the Balkans, it's like how Canadians will tell you, like, you know, so-and-so, did you know that they're Canadian? We will always claim whoever the Balkan person is. So we were just talking offline about Slavoj Žižek and how uh, proud we are of his Slovenian heritage, even though he's maybe a grifter, but, you know, it brings a certain (laughs) amount of pride to know that he's grifting everyone else and he's doing it kind of in our name.
1: And you know what? He also put jordan peterson into a coma which is like yeah. kind of impressive right like you got to give it to him
2: look you know it must be nice that you guys can get away with this kind of conduct if i say like chow or sty" to anyone in a fucking twitch chat all oh, is gonna be gabagool all over the place oh this marino guy classic italians all in love with themselves
1: <laughs> the italian hand emoji just 800 <laughs> yeah, times exactly yeah.
3: i i keep lists of jews Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so if this is your first time listening and you don't know who i am i am jewish um but like uh christy Freeland's grandfather i keep listening views i think probably a lot
4: of uh, croatian uh ancestors probably did the same unfortunately we have a pretty checkered uh, uh history when it comes to that yeah That's it's what unites
1: us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to segue out of this bit.
4: Oh, yeah. Let's just go on the lighter, lighter subject of school shootings. By the way, guys, (laughs) you picked a really good one for us to have some epic bants about. I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, Lots of bants in this episode.
4: Don't Um, you just
3: hate it when you're shooting up a school?
1: Okay. (laughs) 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 Okay. Before we, we talk about, you know, I mean, the thing that we came here to talk about which is an absolutely atrocious column. I do feel like we should make note of the fact that the provincial election Ontario uh, happens despite nobody really noticing it happening.
3: If less than half people vote, was there really an election? I mean, that's like a philosophical um, question for our time.
1: Yeah. Well, if you check Twitter, um, depending on the account you're or the accounts you're following it was either you know the worst thing ever or it was a great victory for the Ontario NDP and they're ready to lead
2: what? yeah um, it's. I'm glad that you guys were not aware that there was an election because being in Bradford I was painfully aware from every boomer and like truck driving I hate Trudeau dude having a Carolyn Mulroney sign on their freaking lawn yeah oh good lord her
3: dad was to the left of Trudeau
4: this Trudeau <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about the election until I saw a front page star article by uh, Martin Cohen. Did you see that one that talked about how we need to vote because of Ukraine? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was so uninspired this time around. I didn't vote, which is kind of rare for me. But I think by you know process of deduction or whatever, that makes me a tanky.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. yeah that's right. You, you're it's not a... voting, so so you support Putin. <laughs>
2: yeah, <exactly>. What <laughs> the fuck is the pro? What,
3: sorry, what is the
2: province of Ontario going to do about the situation in Ukraine? Are they are <laughs> we going to send over Timbits or something like?
4: No, I think it was like democracy is so valuable. Look how the Ukrainians uh... are fighting. So why would you dare like be disaffected? um that was kind of the, but, the like
3: they're they're repelling an invasion right they're not <laughs> right they're they're not they're not um it's not like there was a queue or anything um but i mean i get you know i think i'm being a bit uncharitable of martin rag con who is a dumbass, incidentally incidentally um, <laughs> <laughs> uh so i i think i can be forgiven for that but yeah i mean the 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 liberal like the center left takes you know just going into this election everyone knew doug ford was going to win so it's this battle for second place and just the 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 like level of delusion dripping from like the toronto star editorial page about how like you know that the uh that it was, you know, Tom Parkin, this this fucking guy. I, I want to talk about this guy for a second. Yeah, he was a Sun columnist for a while. He was, like, their token NDP guy. And, I mean, now, like, all right-wing media, the Sun's just not interested in other perspectives than, like, Anthony Furies or whomever. And so I, I guess he read to the Star now. And um, apparently it's all the pollsters' fault because they told people that the liberals in NDP were essentially tied for second. Whereas if you look at seat counts, it was clearly uh the NDP were clearly ahead. And it's like like what is wrong with you? Like like (laughs) no one thinks about this shit. Like, Like 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 wow that's so that's crazy the 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 pollsters reported polls based on popular opinion and not this like convoluted undemocratic system we have wow that that's why the ndp didn't win Uh, otherwise everyone would have just voted for ndp and it's just like how do you get paid for this shit like
2: like (laughs) wait wait jeremy are you telling me the ndp did not win that election because watching andrea horvath's victory speech where she abdicated leadership you would have (laughs) think they would have won they're like there was like a jovial tone at the beginning it was yeah it was like
3: here here are all the things we accomplished together it's like you literally (laughs) haven't accomplished anything you're a loser like we were watching it on on stream and i was just like resign resign like every like she should have started with like obviously this isn't the result we Mm want and then she can talk about like the the good memories she has or something but like yeah you know gaslighting is a term that's used way too frequently in politics but i mean the ndp does have a tendency to just gaslight its supporters and be like yes we're winning we're right our losing mm. is actually winning <laughs> and uh to the extent yeah. it's not it's because of the pollsters it's because of the voters it's right it's never <laughs> the fucking um you know pmcs who fucking run the show for the ndp mm. especially in the provinces it's never their fault right it's always that uh we failed them they didn't fail us
4: so, so. Wh- who do you guys think ate more shit right cuz like the ndp they lost a ton of votes. Uh, I think more th- more than anyone, and they lost yeah. seats to the fucking conservatives. Um, like it's a disaster. It's a tire fire. Uh, but at the same time, Del Duca being like, un what designated for assignment. The whole fucking party doesn't even exist anymore. And I guess they probably lost like their you know their like parking spots and offices and everything. <laughs> like I, I I relish that for sure. Del, Del
3: Duca's concession speech though. Uh, was to me the highlight of the night. Like, <laughs> we we were like pissing ourselves watching it. Like that guy is not a human being, and I don't even think he's like a lizard person because like yeah, ha- like lizard people are like more powerful.
2: Right? He, he he reminded me a lot of the character Purred Happily from Parks and Re- Recreation. His cadence, he would be like, "I am going to make a point, and that point is this." Very like 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 means testing come to life they put they picked the most liberal candidate possible and ate shit for that i to answer gordon's question i think relative to the success that they had in last election ndp ate more shit because they they were handed a bit of a low ball and they had the, the party position to, like, really offer some more compelling progressive options and maybe, like, you know, free dental in two years. Uh, and um, I don't know. And the, li- the libs just remained uh, flat.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I can make an off-the-board pick, I feel like the people who ate the most shit were everybody who has to live in this province, mm. right? Like, we had... A record low turnout for this provincial election and that entirely had to do with the fact that there were three completely unappetizing options right no party had a good platform no party had a a strong leader no one really had a reason to vote i voted at an obligation because i didn't want my mpp to lose her seat um but who's your mpp uh jessica bell but like the the point i was I was trying to make is that when you can win the election by hiding until the election happens oh my God. and like that's the thing that like wins you the most amount of seats uh, the other options on the table were objectively shit, and uh we need better political parties in this province.
4: I was just gonna say i mean I, I said this on on Andre's uh Harbinger show, but I gotta say that the uh campaign ads for uh Doug Ford and the fucking Epic like stadium rock anthem thing that they played like a kind of Pavlov's dog bell in every single ad. Just like I think it trained us all. You know, we all we all now it's time to yeah. get it done. Seriously, <laughs> you know? like, they yeah. won. They won on get it bo- done. Yeah, I
3: mean that that. He's the getter done candidate and no one else was offering anything compelling. I'm sorry, Marina. Yeah, no, no, no.
2: It's okay. I'm just gonna say, yeah, no, they, they won on vibes. I forget who mentioned it at the, at our stream, but someone mentioned that like people vote on vibes and like Andrea Horvath sounds like a, like stern teacher that you don't like. And Mm -hmm. Del Duca sounds like a, a robot for the people who cared enough to go out and vote that that's all it took. And like, yeah, I, w- I wanted to say the NDP would have been an objective step in the right direction, even with their relatively uh, tame policy, but uh, yeah, just like do more. The, no one addressed the pain that normal Canadians are feeling.
3: Yeah. And um, fortunately the Alberta NDP have uh, learned lessons from what happened in Ontario and, <laughs> Um, they are, um, running on a campaign to, uh, continue drilling tar sands oil for 20 years. Um, so, um, they're going to win and the plant's going to be destroyed, but at least it was a progressive government that was (laughs) pulling
5: into destroying the plant.
3: They 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 sort of <laughs> rather than just repeating uh, Ezra Levant's ethical oil talking points verbatim, uh, they paraphrase them in a polite way, right? Because ever look, people are just going to be using oil, so it might as well be <laughs> our fucking filthy oil, which is you know, and, and that's you know, I, you know, people are going to be murdering people, right? So it's better that I do it. In you know, in a righteous manner, because <laughs> I'll be nice. I'll, I'll I'll like you know, take person out for a drink, and then just like you know, slip them uh, slip them a Mickey, as they say, you know, no blood, no guts. And you, I mean, otherwise, someone else is going to. I mean, it's like the settlers in, in Palestine, right? Who are kicking Palestinians out of their homes? And there's that video of that guy who's like, "Well, if I don't steal it." someone else is just going to come and steal it, right? It's the exact same, like, mentality.
4: I just don't get it. I mean, who runs these goddamn party? like, these NDPs, especially uh, provincially? Like, they just seem... Like, are these basically, like, PMC consultant class, like, former DNC losers that essentially are taking over the, like, ostensibly social democratic wing of Canadian politics? I mean, that's what it seems like. But, you know, at least, like... It feels like the the NDP has like a radical history and heritage and it's moving away from that in a way to get votes but it, it, they just keep eating shit when they do it so they're like becoming centrist.
2: I think you're hitting on something really important like yeah like even despite this history of the NDP they are essentially like just picking these like poli sci grads out of university or something with master's degree who are just like massive lanyards who are totally <laughs> because like people, people who like bring us
3: cases to class people <laughs> like
2: us are busy posting and making irreverent podcasts important irreverent podcasts important irreverent. <laughs> yeah, i
1: agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh we <laughs> really depressing me so i feel like we should move on to the next super depressing thing that we have to talk about which is the swath of violence that's going on in the united states there have been over a dozen mass shootings in the past couple weeks um some of it's racially motivated with the mass shooting in buffalo at the grocery store the the one that is sort of still in the news cycle now is the the school shooting in uvalde Texas, where a bunch of elementary school students were killed. I mean, we're in the United States, talks about gun control again before getting distracted and doing nothing. And uh, this time does feel different. I feel like there's like a a level of exhaustion to this conversation Mm -hmm. that there hasn't been. But I don't know if that means that it's going to go anywhere. Um, What were your takeaways on that?
3: You know, I I mean, what, what can anyone say? about gun violence in the States that hasn't been said before, right? Like America is a violent society, like uniquely so. Um, And I mean, I, you know, I think that what at least seems to be the increasing prominence of school shootings is, I mean, I think a direct result of like the decay of the American empire that we're witnessing in motion. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: um, Sandy Hook happened in what, 2011? No, we've been at this for 10 years. And uh, I think Eric's right. Like, yeah, there's a sense of exhaustion. Normally we move past it's it's terrible to say we we move, we move we move on from these school shooting stories or mass shooting stories fairly quickly. This one again feels just like a repeat. It's like it's an elementary school again. They're all children. This one's just sticking in the news cycle and. It, you know it's it's showing the Democrats' hand and showing how useless they are because the best that they've they've said is Joe Biden, who really has been in the White House for the past. like he's been in power so many years of the past decade, and he's just saying, man, someone should do something, mm-hmm. man.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like not like you have any power, yeah. all they all they can <laughs> do is eulogize. All they can do is make our you know feelings uh, heard and give us us uh, the space, you know, to cry and all those sorts of things, which, you know, I understand. I mean, it's very sad, but, like, it just... It, the, the recurring pattern keeps on happening over and over again. And the thing that's frustrating is, like, you know, we're about to talk uh, about a column that is completely devoid of actual policy ideas or, you know, targeting what would actually do to, to fix the problem. But there's been other places where these problems have been addressed. I mean, Australia has had more of a gun culture uh, than the United States did, and they managed to buy back you know, millions of guns and, and change the culture and change the policy orientation around it. So it, it's it's so simple, but like, it's just, it's just not happening. So I don't know. I mean, this is one of those issues that just kind of drives you crazy and makes you sad.
2: And that Australian shooting that triggered those policy changes happened more or less the same time as the Columbine shooting. Mm-hmm. You can really just see the two diverging timelines.
1: I think you're both hitting on, on a really, really important point with the Democrats loving their Aaron Zirkin moments, right? Like, this column that we're going to read is like a reaction to something that happened this past week where, you know, instead of announcing, you know, emergency policy or, or any sort of enhanced restriction on gun registration or anything substantive, the White House brought in a-list celebrity matthew mcconaughey who is a uh he grew up in uvalde and so this is like a personal issue for him however uh not everybody from uvalde got to give a speech at the white house talking about why guns are bad i feel like the united states is run by a bunch of disney adults where like their actual thing that they did was organize this speech to happen and they can pat themselves on the back and they can move on with their lives did any of you catch the mcconaughey speech
4: yeah I, I caught some some clips um and there there were some interesting ideas there and it was moving and you know i don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with what M- mcconaughey d- did but i mean it's just like it's the apotheosis of like the shallow performative politics of the dnc what i was just saying in a sec mm-hmm. like all we can do is eulogize but you know what this fucking geezer's run out of steam, and he can't even do eulogizing well anymore. So let let's just get an actor, someone who can like really pull it off, um, and and we'll stick him there, and he'll he'll do the thing. It's like it, 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 they're outsourcing even their uh, performative politics at this point. It's so fucked up.
5: Oh
3: my yeah, well, god! I think Also, it's worth noting that while well, you know the Republicans obviously are like beholden to the nra i mean literally you know it's almost comical that their solution is literally anything but make it harder to buy guns right like oh uh you know schools should have less doors like you know we should just turn schools into prisons um because i mean we're yeah that that stuff setting the kids up to wind up in prison anyways but for the democrats i mean what the fuck have they done nothing they just use it as a fundraising opportunity to say look how bad and scary these republicans are you should give us and it's exactly what the alberta ndp does too right it's just like oh these conservatives are bad and scary but also we agree with them on like everything but you should give us money instead right it's like coke and pepsi it's it's, (laughs) becomes a complete branding exercise
2: yeah seriously at this point the funding emails are it's it's like a slap in the face um the matthew i'm not gonna i just want to say I'm not going to begrudge Matthew McConaughey for going there and like doing this stuff. I thought it was very nice. I thought he said some good things. But yeah, it's it's, again, it's the same thing. It's not
4: action.
3: Yeah. So this was the speech um, where he's like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, that's the one. That's that's what he said. said
4: (laughs)
1: Yes. Um, Yes. So like he's a household name. I think that um it kind of plays into the whole republicans thing that you know democrats are out of touch and they're the hollywood party Mm. and they have disdain for the common person and i honestly i think they might have a point when they're talking about this because it shouldn't take um a, a very famous person to come and explain to you that uh children getting shot is bad you know that's something that should be common sense i feel like maybe i'm i'm you Common know, sense. Maybe I'm naive.
4: We should but... we, we should get some policies like those. <laughs> <Yeah>. you, <know, laughs> you, you know what, guys? It, it's funny, Eric. I would have said that, but then this morning, I've been uh, I've been reading Matthew McConaughey's terrible memoir, but I've become uh, McConaughey p- pilled because uh, I think he <laughs> actually is kind of like you know. We'll talk about this article which compares him to Oprah and The Rock. Matthew McConaughey is a much better candidate for president because he actually combines, like... He's at the center of, like, three dominant cultural modes. He's got, like... Uh, cowboy, renegade, not PC kind of w- working class yeah. bootstrapping kind of thing going on. Like You read his his memoir, and I'll, t- I'll talk more about it, but all these like, you know, he's stealing shit, he's getting into fights, you know, he's a tough guy, uh, but he's also got that like Jordan Peterson, Dr. Oz, <laughs> motivational speaker kind of energy going that can get people and grifter energy that people can really well, he, sort of...
3: He is a Peterson guy, right? Like, wasn't he on Jordan Peterson's daughter's podcast? Do I remember? He was on
4: Peterson's podcast, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. But the third thing is that he's also a liberal elite. So, like, the woke globalist adrenochrome people might be cool with him. So, he's kind of got all three. I think he could really pull the electorate together.
1: And, I mean, a fourth thing that he is is he he was trip in the 2006 romantic comedy classic failure to launch. And so, you know, that's an entire new demo that, you know, hasn't been reached by Biden. I don't think I'm reached by Trump. Um, Who else has that sort of charisma?
0: I enjoy him
1: in the meme of him smoking sometimes with a photoshopped phone.
3: Right. Is that true detective uh, season one?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you're talking about troubled detective Rust Cole in season one of HBO's True Detective? <laughs> did you know that yeah. show is fictional?
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, did you know that Matthew McConaughey was Cooper in the space adventure film Interstellar?
4: Did you know that I in that movie. Uh, graduate uh, philosophy seminars, we do deep exegesis <laughs> on his uh, various existential rants in True Detective? <laughs> really no, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm completely. No, I'm joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't surprise me.
2: wouldn't <laughs> be okay. the weirdest thing I've seen in a university setting.
4: <laughs> but the thing the, about the, the rom coms—that's such a good point, Eric. I never thought of it because, like, didn't the wine moms like vote Trump? Like, can't the, like the the suburban wine moms will also get folded into the McConaughey program? It's perfect.
1: Yeah. He- like you're thinking, like this is going to be like super majority territory. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be able to make trucks mandatory and make everybody wear a belt buckle with Texas on it. Like yeah. he's going to have a lot of common sense policies like that. I like, can't wait. We should talk about the person who wrote this column because mm. I mean, we've been talking a lot. We we haven't gotten to uh, the man of the hour, really, Vinay Menon, who is a writer for the Toronto Star, and come across our purview. Once in a while, I remember a, a 2018 uh, profile he wrote, which was like effusive in his praise of Jordan Peterson. It, it's really gross, especially especially now.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's uh, a Peterson head. I think he's, or I don't think he's part of that orbit, but he wishes he was. He's also praised Joe Rogan. I think he's realized that's how you get clicks as like a pop culture columnist. You talk about like meaningless culture war bullshit. And uh, you know, no one at the start respects you. I'm sure, but hey,
4: I, I'm sure. I mean, he gets a paycheck at the end of the day. Mm. That's uh, more
3: more than I can say. So
4: I feel like he does like a lot of like nice man columns. Like he's just kind of like a smooth brain, naive kind of uh, positive thinking kind of guy. Like. You He's know, a dumb guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I, like, didn't he have a recent column that was about how like uh, Drake should donate money to Ukraine or something because he like sold a house? Like, oh man, uh, I cannot I, tell
2: you how much I do not want to
3: read that.
4: <laughs> he also had a good take about how we need to ban horns. That was his uh, freedom convoy take. <laughs>
3: We like cars just shouldn't be allowed to have horn <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> which would have no repercussions to
3: be fair i mean <laughs> i don't have a car anymore but when i did and it was in its like last days the horn wasn't working and <laughs> i mean it was fine i you know
1: i sent this uh this column to gordon uh when we decided we were going to do it and uh gordon came back with a bunch of screenshots of uh headlines <laughs> that belonged to the and uh one of them was university seminar warns about right-handed privilege. Tell that to Southpaws, Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg. Oh my
5: <laughs> <yeah>. God! <laughs>
1: and the entire thing is about how left-handed people maybe they're just better because I think right. Vinay is also left-handed. Does
3: he think, shop at the Leftorium? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, maybe. I think that's a fictional store, though. Um, I I just feel like that was like good context to provide to our listeners for the upcoming column, which is I mean I say the columns that we read are all timers a lot, so I'm not gonna say that, but uh this one, this one is titled after his moving speech on gun control. It's time for Matthew McConaughey to give up Hollywood for Washington. Initial thoughts. <laughs>
4: All right. All right. All right. Right. This looks like one of those kind of like trolling articles. It's like, oh, it's just like I'm going to flirt with an idea. You know, I don't really mean it, but it opens with Matthew McConaughey has a moral obligation to enter politics <laughs> so this is serious we're not just playing around this isn't just it's like an entertainment gossip column and then in addition to that if you uh check in check some of the hyperlinks the star actually put together a poll about whether or not you agree <laughs> that matthew mcconaughey should enter politics so just for context this is not a joke <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, he's... what was that what were the results of the poll i mean because i i mean i'd vote yeah like why not I, it's democracy
1: that's true. let him run
3: Let's the, let, let him participate in the battle of ideas and we'll you know made the best idea win has he said he wants to enter politics McConaughey
1: um, I'm unsure if Connor Mead in 2009's classic Ghost of Girlfriends Past said he wanted to enter politics but uh, I mean he sold his health help book and he's now doing speeches at the White House so I mean the door is open
4: <laughs> guys uh, I've got, I've pulled up the results here. So, so, okay. Here, here are your, your options. Have your say. Do you think Matthew McConaughey should enter us politics? The options are yes. I respect his stance on gun control and he is passionate about his community. Maybe I need to see his <laughs> stance on other issues. All right. like, I'm all, you know, I'm, I'm considering it, but I want to see his policy proposals. Um, I don't like it when actors transition into politics. Uh, I'm not sure or no, he wouldn't be a good politician. What? What 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 are your gents' votes on this?
3: <laughs> I, I've already forgotten the options. <laughs> I yeah, I'm all in. Yo. I'm all in for McConaughey. I'm in a phone bank for him.
4: <laughs> well, number one, uh, with fifty seven point five seven percent of the vote is yes. So the people have spoken.
1: <laughs> he has nice. to run. It's legally binding. Internet <laughs> polls are legally binding. Yeah.
3: Especially Canadian internet polls. Right. Uh,
1: American politics. Yeah.
3: Like, sorry, don't make the rules.
1: Can you believe that, though? Like, President Steve Edison from the 2001 film The Wedding Planner. Unbelievable.
2: (laughs) I think that's just an indictment of the kind of people who would respond to a Toronto Star poll in this article.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the stars, it's had a couple weird days in the last little bit. I feel like we could do an entire episode on the future of that paper. uh, It's having
3: a normal one. Yeah, It should log off.
1: Hey, you know, you can lean right. You can lean left. Oh, my God. As long as you lean
4: in. Lean in. That one is right. <laughs> that billboard's right beside my house. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> it,
1: it makes me so mad every time I see it. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, whatever. Should we get to the column? I feel like we've talked about it a lot, but we haven't actually dove in.
3: Let's do it. There's some gems in there. Yeah. he makes some very good points.
1: So Gordon, I know this is the first time on our show, but we usually let the guest read unless you have some reason that you would not like to, and we'd be happy to take it over. But Uh,
4: I can do it. I just, uh, I just, I can't promise a Texas accent, but I can do it. Um, (laughs) And I I looked around for a cowboy hat uh, for this call, but unfortunately I couldn't find mine. I'm sorry, gents. Uh, All right. I'm ready. You want me to start? Yeah. Yes, please. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Matthew McConaughey has a moral obligation to enter politics. I don't say that lightly, mostly because I fear a free world led by Oprah or The Rock. But McConaughey has flirted with public office. And on Tuesday, while delivering a White House proxy speech on gun control, his leadership bona fides were as obvious as neon Q-tips on black velvet.
3: I think this is McConaughey versus The Rock. In a primary I would I would actually I would move my support to the rock
4: well, but I feel like that would totally tear apart Texas because the mm. rock I think is a longhorn as McConaughey is too in fact the, the rock has a Brahma bull tattoo you might have to fact check this if I'm getting it wrong but I think they went to uh, they, they like the same football team so that could really really cause problems
1: and you know what like the rock uh the rock actually played for the stampeders for a bit i think he uh Hell i don't yeah. know if he was like a, a starter but he was on that team so i mean he he has the uh the northern voting contingent for the american election which i mean the is rock, the only thing the Toronto mean, stars he is cannot
3: beat the rocks level of charisma like i mean are we assuming they're democrats <laughs> yes the rock is almost assuredly a democrat
4: yeah what do you think jeremy well, I think it doesn't 20... matter what you think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I I would predict a landslide just based on you know The Rock's jabroni based policies.
3: Didn't Ric Flair run for president in twenty sixteen? Oh,
1: I wish man. did he?
3: Yeah, he's just like woo. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: won I every actually debate. do.
3: I I if if memory serves, and I couldn't possibly be making this up. Rick Flair ran on the ticket with uh, Walk of Flock of Flame. Oh, I think you might be right. Uh, yeah, in in the slogan was "Make America Woo
1: Again." <laughs> Shut, up. Shut up. No, that's
4: <laughs> right. Listeners, look this up. You are <laughs> totally right. You are totally right.
1: I
3: I can't tell you how many states they got on the ballot for. I would imagine. It's closer to zero than 50, but, um, yeah, they did it, so.
1: Well, I mean, I don't want to gloss over this one point as well, because I think Vinay was probably very proud of this uh, this phrase. Um, as obvious as neon Q-tips on black velvet. Um, nice work, Vinay. You know? Good for you. I don't really get it, but it's, but it's fun. Uh,
4: yeah, who is, like, Q-tipping black velvet, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> Why a
1: neon Q-tip?
2: Oh, Q-tips are white, they would be... Whoa, wet, whoa, whoa! Well, it's Pride Month.
1: <laughs> That's okay. true, Marino, and you should, you should apologize, actually. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Gordon, <laughs> do you want to get back into it?
4: Oh, let's do it. Okay. America, our beloved neighbor to the South, just because <laughs> yes. you didn't know, oh. has a problem with gun violence. McConaughey... Oh. Native Vivaldi, Texas, was addressing last month's horrific mass shooting in the city after an 18-year-old with an AR-15 entered the Robb Elementary School and killed 19 children and two teachers. America, which averages more than one mass shooting per day, is trying to gaze into the cultural mirror and summon the courage for change.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> the Disney adult in this column is so... <laughs> Ugh, it really makes me uncomfortable.
2: Going back to what we've established about Australia and like other places that have made policy changes, like what does it say about your culture that this is like you have to grapple with this, where any 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 policy change could potentially immediately save?
1: I mean, the solution is do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, what they're doing is the opposite of anything. Again. <laughs> And so, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm at a loss.
3: It's easy for us to criticize, but you've you got to understand one thing. It's not in their jurisdiction.
4: <laughs> Shut, the fuck, up. Shut the, uh. fuck the fuck up. You're making me so mad. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love this, like, uh, you know, they call in the business the a positive phrase, America, our beloved neighbor to the south. So he's he's reminding us, just in case we weren't sure where America is situated, Uh, And then what he's doing here is irony, because do we love America? Not sure. (laughs) The
3: jury's out. I I mean, it's very much a love-hate relationship. Um, Oh my god! Um, But um, yeah, no, it was courteous of him to remind us uh, where the (laughs) United States is situated.
4: Um, He goes on to go to say, "This won't be easy. It may well be impossible." While other countries, including Canada, have high rates of gun ownership, what we don't have is gun culture. Yeah,
3: yeah, we've all seen *Bowling for Columbine*. Yeah, (laughs) a great episode of fellow Harbinger show uh, replay on *Bowling for Columbine* that came out. Mm -hmm.
4: I've never seen someone carrying a pistol in Toronto. You've never been to Eric's neighborhood. He's always packing. Um, yeah, I've true. seen <laughs> lots of people packing heat in America where a gun is as ho-hum as underwear or shoes. Um, I, I love this one because I was imagining the American gun owner who doesn't wear underwear. Or shoes.
1: <laughs> Just wore got shoes. guns on his feet. Yep. yeah.
4: <laughs> uh, no shirts, no shears, no underwear, no service But guns okay in, in this establishment <laughs> yes, um, yes. <laughs> There's a gun on your purse There's a gun in your glove box There's a gun on your nightstand There's a gun in your holster As you dash out to 7-Eleven For milk and eggs
2: Okay, thanks Dr. Seuss <laughs>
4: <laughs> Yeah,
1: fuck it Like one gun, two gun, red gun, blue gun Right, like it's <laughs> This is like, like we get it, Vinay. There's a lot of guns there.
2: There's some like flip flourishes that he uses. That, anyways, we'll 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 see them soon,
4: guys. But we're about to get to the to the statistical weeds here. We're about to get some 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 deep sort of quantitative analysis of the nature of gun culture. In America, so just just brace yourself. Um, you know, I know I make an academic show. It's about to get a little academic. There might be some talks of regression, statistical analysis, that sort of stuff. We're gonna get really complicated. Um, I'll try my best. <laughs> there are more guns than people in America. Think about that. The country's firearms per one hundred civilians metric is an estimated one twenty point five. What is a
3: metric civilian? <laughs> like, what, what does that mean?
1: It means like that—that—that
3: that, that to me is like, like that sounds like when Homer Simpson goes into like the three D realm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm like, honestly,
3: everyone he meets is a metric civilian.
1: (laughs) Like to be serious for a second, I feel like this is an issue that maybe shouldn't be quantified in in a way that would reduce the humanity of the victims in these situations where they're just like, Yeah, you know, like one yeah, one metric civilian per this amount of days like it doesn't talk about the human being behind it and it also it makes it feel inevitable in this weird way that i i think is one untrue and i think two kind of ignores more of the underlying causes of what may inspire people to be shooting complete strangers uh and and engaging in mass violence like this
4: yeah, I mean the problem is just the stats the stats are so overwhelming the metrics the counts the tables the charts I can't I can't I can't get a grip of it <laughs> It's Just you know, there's yeah, just, it's um, the numbers man the numbers. <laughs> What we need to
1: do is numbers
4: we need to, mu- to moneyball gun control we need to come up with the oh wins God. above replacement just, gun control uh, policy that can be be as efficient as possible because that's what the the technocrats at the dnc would would have us do
3: he i mean he should run for president (laughs) billy bean that would be like he would he's like the ideal
1: the economy is down but the slugging percentage is way up for the entire country
4: the problem is this country just keeps on bunting (laughs) <laughs> and what we need to do is we need to get two or three walks in a row, and yeah. then get some uh, meathead who can only hit home runs hit it out of the park. I'm I want the three home run, the three run home run for America. <laughs> that would win. That's a good slogan.
5: Three <laughs> runs for America. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, so we're, we're, we're almost through this really, really uh, dense academic section. So there's, there's more than double they, the, the Americans' um, firearms per 100 civilians metric, you know, just, just so we're clear is more than double the second most heavily armed country, Yemen. Oh, uh, why?
1: Why is Yemen so heavily armed?
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to talk yeah, about that, is yeah. that not,
1: Oh, it's not in the column. Okay, never mind.
5: Okay. <laughs> he he L- hasn't. Look, an...
3: let's not get bogged down in the
5: details. <laughs> they have a lot of guns.
2: Nobody yeah. knows why. What's important uh, is Canada doesn't have a gun culture in any
1: way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not making any money off of uh, a country that's buying weapons to then use in Yemen, are they? <laughs> That's not happening? Okay. No.
5: Never mind. <laughs> Definitely well, not. We that, def-
3: well, uh, well uh, we just sold the Saudis some Jeeps, all right? Like, why are you guys bring gun culture
4: into this? <laughs> Okay. Jeremy, we, we don't have a Jeeps per chic metric here, so I, I don't know how to address that. Um, we don't have the data. We're going to have to convene a committee, get some PhDs. Maybe Billy Bean can be part of it. We'll figure it out. Once we do the calculations, we will know that selling uh, weapons to the Saudis may or may not be a problem, but jury's still out because we're not sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> Oh, oh, crap! I, I lied. There's more stats. America, which has roughly five percent of the global population, owns more than forty percent of the private firearms. It's a nice proviso there. Private firearms. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a public bonkers. utility in
1: some countries. Sorry. Go ahead. I keep interrupting.
4: No worries. No worries. It's bonkers. That's the sentence. Uh, <laughs> it's
1: just, it's just, it's just, this is the analysis that you're supposed to lean into, that the Toronto Star keeps talking about. Like they're like, lean into it's bonkers. This is the stuff that we're we're getting from the Toronto Star.
4: Can you imagine if Canada owned 40 percent of, say, I don't know, the world's frisbees? <laughs> that you
3: know, that's a reference. That's like uh, uh, an Easter egg for his buddy John Kay. <laughs> <laughs>
4: What, do they play, like, Froth
3: together? What? I mean, that's, like, when John is not talking about people's, like, skull sizes and, like, how trans (laughs) people are scary, he's probably posting about Frisbee golf. Like, it's, like, he's, like, I mean, it checks out. Like, it it just ruined Frisbee golf for me because, like, it seems like a fun game, but.
1: It's so grim that, like, he could legitimately be trying to, like, write a little thing about uh or just to give like a little nod to his buddy johnno i don't know if they're like actually friends though are they
3: well they ha- they hang out in the same orbit with like jordan peterson and all these like weirdos like i like because remember when uh there was that hit piece on desmond cole that no one gave a shit yeah. <laughs> and john k was like posting like there's this dynamite piece on Desmond Cole and the impact of his activism on the black community coming out in the Star this weekend. And it's like, well, who fucking leaked that to him? Um, I mean, maybe it was Rosie DeMono.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Old friend of the show. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Um, Or, right? I mean, there are only a handful of Chud's at the star, I mean, most of their pundits are like annoying liberals,
4: but I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah. so like annoying liberals, we know what they do for fun. They have like adrenochrome child-diddling parties, like that's well established, <laughs> um, and that's a good time. I mean, who who could resist, right? Um, <laughs> but you you guys are telling me that the whole like John Kay. Um, Jordan Peterson contingent of people like in their spare time what they do is frisbee
1: oh my god yeah well so (laughs) John K posted a photo of his desk one time because he was trying to prove a point that he reads books from all, all sorts of people and he had some dumb book And then he had a biography of Karl Marx, and he's like, "See, I read, I read communist literature, which is like, that doesn't make any sense." But uh, if you look at his bookshelves, it's just they were packed with frisbees and board (laughs) games, and I just, I just had to respond with, uh, "This is the desk of a serial killer." Um,
3: John K. Gacy. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, he's a weird creep. I don't like him. Yeah. Maybe we
4: actually do have a high frisbee to civilian metric, but it's just that John K. <laughs> yeah. has them all. So like the he's hoarding
5: <laughs> <laughs> frisbees.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you, he opens his front door and just frisbees fall out. Yeah. Ugh
4: guys the the best writers what they do is what they tr- what they try and make you inhabit a world like they paint you an image you know like a metaphor or something but better yet like a scene so you can embody their ideas and really come to know and feel what it means that they're talking about and so here um he goes on to say if we did have a 40, 40% of the world's Frisbees in Canada. <laughs>
2: 40% of like, like what, what would it be? Would it be a uh, Frisbees per 100 civilians? Yeah. <laughs> metrics would be, would, would be, <laughs> anyways.
4: There, there would be, I mean, okay, just, I, I know this is going to be tough. Like, let's do the stats here. So the, the uh, civilian to Frisbee conversion is, is 120 to 100. So that means there's four of us. We have five frisbees, okay? Five and a half maybe. Mm. In that world, if we were to walk through the park, we would be ducking every five seconds, he goes on to say. Because <laughs> frisbees would just be flying all over the place.
1: <laughs> can we can we please remember the fact that this is a column about a speech made about a school shooting? Like, and he's just like he's like doing math about frisbees. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: but that's saying all these fucking libs with their gun control don't even think about how many people die from frisbee accidents a year. Like, what? We're gonna ban
1: frisbees? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. I didn't think about that.
4: (laughs) Also, I mean, what better way to uh, deal with the scourge of frisbee violence than to shoot them out of the air? Like, let's have both guns and frisbees.
1: That's right. Skeet shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. The best, A good compromise. <laughs> McConaughey likes compromise. He's kind of like a, a guy who, who likes common sense solutions, right?
4: Yeah. But McConaughey didn't get into the statistical weeds. Oh, good. I
1: hate <laughs> statistical weeds. <laughs> I wish the writer didn't.
4: Because that's what we were just doing we were doing this really complex you know statistical regression analysis I know it was really over all of our heads we got into the weeds but we had to um, about that's frisbees wh- <laughs> Yeah. that's why his speech was so powerful the actor flipped the script and poignantly backed into gun control by focusing on the victims and the systemic insanity
1: okay <laughs> the writer should have done that maybe Perhaps I don't know. I don't want to edit. I shouldn't be editing.
4: <laughs> this one drives me crazy because isn't this what we've been doing since what 2000? And when was Columbine? We've always been focusing on the victims. All we've been doing is eulogizing the victims. How is this any fucking different? Like, yeah, I
2: wanna, I wanna, I wanna go back even just to like how he even just starts. The entire premise of the con the the column and how he starts it, Matthew McConaughey has a moral obligation to enter politics. There are already the Democrats are in power. Like there are people that people in power have a moral obligation to stop children from being slaughtered, is what I would say. But yeah, let's keep saying let's like what's it gonna take? Eventually you have to stop vocally demanding things.
3: Well, as Michael Moore points out in Boeing for Columbine, like it's kind of hard to, for America to crack down on violence at home when it's committing and glorifying it abroad, right? Like, There's such an obvious like, inconsistency there.
1: I think it's a good point. Um, Gordon, do you want to jump back into this one?
4: Sure. He talked about driving to Uvalde the day after the massacre and meeting with families. He got emotional and held up photos and talked about the shattered dreams of slaughtered children. One little girl wanted to be a marine biologist. Another wore green converse high tops with a heart scribbled on the right toe to symbolize her love for the environment. Another was planning to read a biblical verse deuteronomy six five I was like hey, chap book six uh you know my Catholic but, training has completely uh completely left me here this- yeah, you got Uh, Book six, verse five. Oh, my God. I'm going to get so much hate um, at her next church meeting. Is that the one? Does he say what it is? Uh, Yeah, it is. But she never got. Oh, no, he doesn't read it. But she never got to read it. Service is on a Wednesday night. What?
3: It's uh, in thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might.
2: Yeah, the other there, one just says might is strength. It's a pretty standard translation, it
3: seems. Pretty yeah, it, I mean, this, they use the same Deuteronomy as everyone else, presumably.
4: Hmm. McConaughey didn't just leave flowers or send thoughts and prayers. He and his wife, Camilla Alves, spent time with those affected by this tragedy, from grieving parents to mortuary cosmetologists tasked with trying to prepare tiny bodies Devastated with ghastly exit wounds for open casket viewings.
5: Oof. It's
1: like it's it's legitimately horrifying thinking about the fact that these these people's lives are ruined forever. It really is. But I, when I think of, in the grand scheme of things, what Matthew McConaughey being there is going to do for the country, the state of the country, Mm -hmm. the material conditions that they live in. Like, what what does it do? Yeah.
2: Like, I'm sorry, this is like, why do we need, again, why do we need an actor to come in and do this? If I was like, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of this situation. And like, I don't mean to dismiss his like, act of kindness. Yeah. But it would be really weird if like, someone I knew was involved in the school shooting and freaking like Ryan Reynolds was there or something like, Hey man, I know this is a tough time. It would just be like, okay, thanks. Ryan yeah. Reynolds. I, yeah. Like I'd rather be talking to a therapist right now. Like someone maybe trained to deal with this grief. I don't know. Like yeah. it's just, it's not like his job to do this. I'm saying it's nice that he did it, but like, it's not like it really isn't his obligation.
4: No, I mean, to to his credit, I mean, he, he's from there and he's, like, mm-hmm. really kind of showing yeah. up for his community. And that's yeah, that's true. Nothing we can, like, I got nothing but kind things to say about that, but, like, that's not what's happening. He's speaking at the White House. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. becoming a, a publicity stunt for the DNC and the president. It's in lieu of, of actual action. I mean, that's, that's the problem, not what the mm. actor's doing. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, like... That's the point that I'm trying to get across, but I'm, you know, terrible at speaking, which is like good because I'm on a podcast. But like, (laughs) uh, unfortunately, like this kind of action, if nothing is done to curb the systemic violence in the country and the unfettered access to guns, um, this is virtue signaling. This is that thing that people like to talk about, you know, on the Internet. Saying that, oh, all you guys do is virtue signal. This is that's what this is. It's like, oh, we wish things were better, but there's nothing we can do. So here's a nice speech.
4: Mm-hmm. He goes on to say, in the last month, you've probably heard Democrats talk about banning guns. You've also heard Republicans talk about the constitutional right to bear arms. This is an intractable impasse. But what yeah. McConaughey, a gun owner himself, did was deftly split the difference. By pointing out the common sense measures would benefit both sides of this oddly polarizing issue. We need background checks, he said. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21.
1: That's gun control. That's like not splitting the difference, Vinay. <laughs> That's literally taking a side. Um, it's, we also I mean,
3: should probably defund the police, so... Um, they don't fucking uh, sit outside the school for an hour while people are in there dying. Um, yes, but for these guys, that's actually a reason to give police more money. So because you know if you give them more money then they won't.
2: Have any Democrats in with like legitimate power or sway in the in the in the party talked about outright banning guns? because to me, it just seems like they haven't said anything more than like, oh, we we should implement common sense measures but we can't or man someone should
3: do something didn't beto o'rourke running in texas just be like yeah i want to take your guns and yeah. uh yeah he was
4: <laughs> i mean i <laughs> haven't followed the the issue closely with the house i mean they passed a bill that raised the minimum age And had some red flag laws, I think, maybe, or maybe maybe it didn't. But, like, it was not, we're taking all of the guns. Like, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. Like, they are doing the centrist thing. It's not going to, that isn't even going to pass, but they're doing the centrist thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, maybe he's splitting the difference between the center and the right, with, like, a center-right thing. But, like, that's what is, like, being presented. Like, he's he is advocating for the Democrats' plan.
4: I think basically what he's saying is like, this guy's a cowboy, like this guy's a Texan, this guy culturally presents in a lot of ways as conservative, you know, in his book he talks about growing up conservative and becoming liberal, that being like the trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's splitting sort of like cultural differences for sure, which, which is why I think he, he actually does kind of make for the perfect uh, candidate for our culture wars.
1: Yeah, yeah, he is a culture war candidate, right? And it's completely, like, he's, like, a vibes-based Texan, yeah. right? Like, that's, ah, <laughs> uh, it's so funny.
4: So surface-level, yeah, too. He goes on to say, oh, yeah, oh, uh, 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 yeah, ah uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the sentence. ah uh, yeah.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that's the end of the quote. yeah <laughs> it's,
4: it's How is that 18-year-old in Texas can't legally order a beer but can buy a weapon of war? You need to pass training and testing to ride a motorcycle or pluck eyebrows in a salon setting, but you can wander into a gun show and buy an M16 rifle and hundreds of rounds of ammo like you're ordering McNuggets. You can't renovate your porch without a oh permit, but you can stockpile firearms to mow down an entire postal code?
2: Is this dude paid by the word? <laughs> <laughs> like, why did he three meta? Like, we get it. Three metaphors, we get it, Benny. Yeah. You get a gun very easily in the United States.
4: And how many people live in a postal code? Like 20,000? <laughs> like, what kind of fucking gun is mowing down 20,000 people? You, you need, like, the U.S. Uh, Air Force and their uh, patrons in Yemen to do that, which, you know, <laughs> side note, um, we don't talk about that. It's, but yeah, that, that's how you them. mow down a postal code.
1: <laughs> it's It's... Like a really really bad uh, metaphor, right? Because like an entire postal code is either like a household, or if you're looking at the three numbers, then it's like an entire city block. And so like, I mean.
2: Um, Also, I just like to point out that I think they call them zip codes in the United States. Actually, that's
1: that's good. That's a good voice. I like that. It's a good editor voice. Actually, it's my Reddit voice. Yeah, it's good. All right, let's let's get back into this thing.
4: As McConaughey continued, we need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. These regulations are not a step back. They're a step forward for a civil society and, and... The Second Amendment. Oh,
1: Oh, we all love the Second Amendment, folks, don't we? We all love I love
2: uh I love tactical regulations. I love that one. If we can make the regulations tactical, they'll be appealing to gun owners. Um it reminds me of a tweet that went like viral this week about some some like I think conservative pundit or something was talking about his tactical Honda.
4: See, th- this is what he means by splitting the difference, right? Because if you're appealing just to libs, you'll say like evidence-based policy reform, and that just makes you cream, right? If like you have all the the, the, the um accolades and the and the degrees. But if you want to get someone uh on board with big government, what you need to do is sell it with operator culture. This yeah. is a tactical policy reform, you know. Strategic. It's-
1: <laughs> Carpet, carpet bombing policy changes. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Back, Seek and destroy. get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I wish it wasn't this stupid, but like, it is. It's, it's literally this. And it, oh, it's hurting me, Gordon.
4: He's right. America will never sleepwalk away from its animating gun culture. But after the Uvalde mass murder, it can at least wake up to the possibility of reducing the carnage. An 18-year-old human does not even have a fully formed brain. Recklessness and impulse control are issues. Just ask auto insurance companies. Why anyone at any age needs an AR-15 is something I will never grasp. But at least we can keep the killing machines away from teens.
1: Oh, I'm I'm really mad at um, blaming, like in that last graph, Vinay kind of blames mass shootings on like recklessness and impulse control, which I think is is a deep misunderstanding of the you know misanthropic inspired violence that a mm. mass shooting is right. Like it's these people the, are not just doing this impulsively. It isn't flipping an ATV. Yeah. like it's it's a little bit worse than that. It's someone who's trying to do the worst possible thing that they can possibly do. And this is I mean I I kind of wanted to save this to the end, but I really think that the liberal understanding of what gun control is is partially attacking a symptom of the issue, mm-hmm. right? I think gun control is good. I should be clear that I think gun control should happen in the United States because it's fucked up that teenagers can get assault weapons. I think that's not good. I think that's very obvious. However, I think taking the guns away doesn't prevent people from wanting to commit these acts of violence, which I think is a deeper issue that has not been addressed at all. It is something that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, We don't want to talk about the material conditions that these people are living in before they decide to act out. In the specific way, what is inspiring people to commit these acts of violence, and yeah. why are we not asking these questions?
2: Like obvious stuff. Like I'm not an expert on the topic, but they're all like they're, there's a there's a through line of like incel culture, mm-hmm. and like there's a, a consistent like wom- like hatred of women. Yeah, I think like there was a statistic I read that nearly all of the mass shootings basically begin with them shooting a female family member yeah and these are conversations that are just not brought up or very like oversimplified as like oh like the systemic issues and like maybe they think that just to mean the fact that you can get a gun very easily but yeah no it's it's more than that
4: this is what liberals always do you pathologize every social problem. Whenever anything goes wrong, you explain, ah, there's some defect. They're acting this way because there's something wrong in their brain. There's some. There's something going on that we need to contain with sensible, smart, centrist reform. Not, oh, the patriarchy that you were discussing, not the imperialism that's coming home to mm-hmm. roost, not the I mean, talk about the Buffalo shooting. That guy was rational. Like his, he had, like, it was a hateful screed. It was mm-hmm. awful, it was terrible, but it was really well thought out. It was not just a simple case of a guy kind of flying off the handle. He knew exactly what he was doing, and that's what's so scary. Not the, like, oh, the unhinged kind of, like, oh, little something's wrong in his brain, auto insurance. Blah. Yeah, lone no. <laughs> wolf,
1: you know, he was a loser. He didn't have friends at school, right? Like, yeah. it's that was like a cerebral cold act of violence, and it was plotted, which I think I think we need to talk about. Um, because, I mean, that guy, if he didn't have access to guns, he would have a van like Alec mm-hmm. Manassian in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's beyond the short-term solution, which is gun control. I'm sorry, this is now me like trying to show that I'm a better politician than Matthew McConaughey. Uh, beyond the short-term solutions, which I think involves you know preventing people getting access to killing machines... There needs to be a long term solution. We need to prevent people from wanting to act out in this way. And I think that that's, I mean, a process of de-radicalization in the increasingly fascist mm-hmm. United States and Canada.
4: Oh, I agree 100 percent. I mean, gun control is harm reduction and I like harm reduction, but it's mm-hmm. it, it's not the underlying cause of, you know, what exactly is is going on here, you're totally right. I mean, if it wasn't a gun, it'd be something else. And even if he didn't have something else, I mean, the fact that these ideas exist, that he could you know, be so sort of socially dislocated, that he could act in this way. And I mean, these are all problems, um, horrible, horrible, horrible problems. But I, we have a solution. It, it is common sense centrism because, <laughs> Matthew <finally>. M- <laughs> because Matthew McConaughey is a rare creature these days. <laughs> A centrist. <laughs> he is neither left nor right. Finally. Oh yeah. He, he is the perfect uh, you know a totem of a of the star uh, reader. Right. I mean he he doesn't go left or right or whatever. He leans in. Um, in. Is he forward? <gasps> yeah. It's
1: always twirling towards freedom. <laughs> Ugh. Fuck me.
4: He goes issue by issue and lets common sense dictate his thinking.
2: <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs>
1: so mad! I'm so mad that that made me this much happier because, like, it was like the, I brought the mood down by yelling about you know serious things, and then Vinay just brought it right back up, and he got me.
4: <laughs> this is what America needs now more than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Le- leaders who can find solutions to problems. <laughs> not leaders who only care about playing footsies with their base. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The,
2: the, the people in power in the states, the Democrats, are really aligned with their race. They're doing everything that their base wants them to do. It's true. That's, a, that's sarcasm. They yeah. are not. Oh, oh. Obviously, thank you, dear Uh-oh. listeners. I'm very sarcastic often, but I, I like to make things clear sometimes.
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I had, I had no idea that centrism didn't exist anymore. I thought it's, we were like slouching towards a communist revolution right now. Like I don't know, it's yeah. just it's yeah. news to me. Like oh, <laughs> you know, it's really a
1: Joe of Biden
3: to have someone who. um it You know, isn't on the left, isn't on the right, and just sort of uh, just goes with their gut, just um, has, you know, you never know. You never know what they're going to say.
0: Finally, on, a politician on any...
1: who wants to maintain the status quo. I think it's like it's a new innovative idea <laughs> that we should try. We should try it out.
4: We need leaders who can slice through the partisan rage and the intellectual dishonesty Not leaders who cravenly amplify the dysfunction. Matthew McConaughey is a gifted actor. He could be an even better politician. (laughs) That's it,
1: folks. Mic drop. I fucking hate this thing so much. What
2: a pointless article.
1: (laughs) And, like, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to expect better from the Toronto Star. I like I know, I I'm 30 years old. I should know this stuff. I'm still disappointed. I, I'm like mad that he got paid to write this because this feels like fan fiction about Matthew McConaughey. Like he was
4: no, that's literally what it is. Mm-hmm. That's literally what it is. I think someone wants to play footsie's here with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um. But Gordon, you uh, so
4: kindly read his uh, memoir. Are there any highlights from it? Oh, absolutely. We could do an entire other podcast on this. This is a tour de force. It's called Green Light, um, and basically, it's like a memoir slash kind of twelve rules for life. Except the rules are, are traffic lights. Uh, you know, you decide what what it is. You get a you get a red, you get a yellow, you get a green. You know Ugh. just like figure out the vibes, and you know you might be thinking, okay, well what is what is a green light, what is a red light? Well, these are the signals that um, kind of teach you how to um, navigate the audubon of life. <laughs> it's how university. It's how the universe tells you where to go. And, and th- this, is, this is like right in the beginning. And you know it falls apart right from the start because the Autobahn doesn't have fucking traffic lights.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's never been to Germany.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Okay, you're going to have traffic lights. They're going to tell you where to go and what to do. And basically, this guy, like, it's just garden variety stoicism. It's all just about, like, reading the room and the vibes and, like, the universe itself dictates to you what you can and cannot do. So if you want, like, you know, radical change, like, you know, really big, aggressive Uh, gun reform, or universal healthcare, or ending imperialism. Red light, folks, the universe is going to give you a red light, so you have to wait for the right kind of signals. Uh... That's kind of his thing, right? His whole thing is about just going with the flow, and this is why I actually think that he's kind of perfect for for these these times, because he he has all these anecdotes just about things not going right, and then all he does is really kind of Pollyannishly kind of Say, oh, it's all right. You know, I'm just going to do it anyways. I'm going to learn a lesson. Um, so, <laughs> uh, do, do you guys want? Do you guys want to hear a little bit? I, I pull. I pulled some sections. If if you want to hear, yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. The first thing to say is he's a total grifter. He claims it so many times in his book. He actually tells on himself so many times. He has this one anecdote about how he he just plagiarized a poem in like grade school and like got. Really high grades, and that's how he learned, um, to, like to be. His parents were grifters; they did all these like frivolous lawsuits. Um, he would steal <laughs> shit, uh, and the oh key, like the kind of um, w- w- what do you call like the w- like the the end of the first act, the inciting incident, like what he finds that really sets him on his journey is he finds a book called The Greatest Salesman in the World. So. That that is Matthew McConaughey. He's, he's fully a grifter uh, and embraces it. So he's, he's that's just who he is. Anyway, so he goes to these stories, these little things that happen. He he does an exchange in Australia, and I won't bore you with all the details. But basically, he spends a year with like effectively an abusive family, like at least emotionally abusive. Like the mother like does this weird game where he, she wants Matthew McConaughey to kiss. The girlfriend of her son, like, it, like in his, like in their face, like, like on the lips, and like this is a whole thing at family dinner. That is he, extremely weird. He, he, she wants him to call her mom, and when, when he doesn't, shit hits the fan. Anyways, I won't bore you all the details. The people in the community think that the the family is insane, and he has this like complete mental breakdown. Um, and basically. What he decides is instead of like, you know, being put in a really bad situation and, and leaving, he made a promise so he's going to stay. And this is where like he develops his like stoic mentality. And he says, that year planted the seeds of a notion that continues to guide me. Life's hard. Shit happens to us. We make shit happen. To me, it was inevitable that I was staying the entire year because I'd shaken on it. I'd made a voluntary obligation with myself and there was no going back. So I got relative. (laughs) I denied the reality that the Dooleys, that's the family, were off their rocker. It was a crisis. I just didn't give the crisis its credit. I treaded water until I crossed the finish line. I persisted, I upheld my father's dignity. And while I was going crazy, I kept telling myself there was a lesson. I was put there to learn. There was a silver lining to all of this. I needed to go through hell to get on the other side. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically, that's that's the whole thing. Like, you just kind of go with the flow. You learn. You, it doesn't matter if the world's on fire and this family's abusing you and doing weird sex games. It's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just ignore can, it. Th- Pretend it's not this happening. Really,
3: um, it's really revealing as to why uh, Jordan Peterson resonates with him, right? Not just in terms of, like, everything is awesome, the status quo is great, um, but also the, like the weird like family sexual dynamics. It's very uh, <laughs> Peter Peterson esque.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it also the way that he he just kind of stuck through it actually reminded me of uh, you know his his starring role as Ben in How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. I don't know if you remember that movie, you guys. I saw it on an airplane. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was a yeah, who could forget? Who can forget? Um, <laughs> this guy's going to be president. It's going to yeah. happen. Like we're 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 just going to deal with him. We're pretending that how, how the economy is collapsing to end a school
4: shooting in ten days, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> was he? Oh no, sorry. I was thinking of ten things I hate about
4: him.
1: No, well, he was. <laughs> was I know you theory. didn't ask this, but he was Hank from the podcast series short Hank the Cowdog, um, which I think you should all check out. Um, I, I think he was a cowdog. Um, I haven't watched it yet or listened to it yet, but we support podcasts on this podcast. That column was dog shit, and I feel like I'm trying to forget about it. So typically at this part of the show, we like to talk about things that we read or watched or did in the last little bit that we would like our audience to know. So I'm going to pass it over to Jeremy first and then we'll give Gordon a little bit of time to think about things that he could recommend, uh, in our plugs and wrecks segment. Uh,
3: I actually, this is pretty lame, but I, uh, I started reading Gulliver's travels, um, the other day. Cause I respect uh, it. Yeah. I want to know what this whole Swifty and satire thing is about. And it's really good. It's really fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, but, um, yeah i recommend it just in general reading the class going back reading the classics because i mean they're classics for a reason um so there's that also new season of the boys is out a uh, great show really dark look into uh superhero culture and uh you know what if superheroes were real and it turns out they would be uh fucking uh corporate controlled psychopaths um, so that's a great show, uh, on Amazon prime, uh, sponsor of, uh, the Big Shine Takes Institute. Um, <laughs>
5: yeah.
3: oh, and also a little teaser, little teaser for the listeners. I am working on a book. Oh, I will let everyone know what it's about the moment it is accepted.
1: All right, Gordon, over to you.
4: Okay, I've, I, I got a, i got a couple things. I mean, this there's this one show called Darts and Letters, which is about the politics of academia and expertise. I think it's it's all right. Um, but I was also listening. I was talking about Moneyball. I was listening to Michael Lewis's new podcast about the politics of expertise and why we don't trust experts. Um, and it's like. Uniron- it's it's uh, brilliant if you read it ironically, in that it is like a perfect encapsulation of the like myopia of liberal technocratic sort of expertise mediated politics. Because just listen to the first episode; That's all you need to do the first episode is about uh, some tech bros who create an algorithm to like streamline billing in healthcare insurance companies. Oh no and they find this woman who like worked for etna or something who like has this knowledge of the various ways these really labyrinthian byzantine like billing codes work so she's an expert right and we are meant Ooh. to like adore her even though she shouldn't fucking exist like this sh- <laughs> but at at <laughs> no point does the does the does the podcast ever think about like you know health justice or, you know, uh, universal health care or any kind of policy or bigger kind of ambition that would make this, this system more rational, what they do is they think, oh, let's find the person that is the best expert in the billing codes, then create an algorithm that systematizes her knowledge so that hospitals can bill faster. And that, my friends, oh. is the nature of expertise, <laughs> that sounds like some
3: like like Malcolm Gladwell,, uh, like yeah. Stephen <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Well, was playing.
3: Michael Lewis on Epstein's plane,
4: <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, uh probably, who knows <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's no way of knowing, almost for sure,
5: yeah.
4: <laughs> Uh, The other thing I would recommend, it's kind of similar. The the latest episode of The Dig was really good. It had this, um, I think she's a political scientist or maybe a historian. She wrote a book called uh, Left Behind, and it is about kind of the intellectual and political trajectory of the Democratic Party. Uh, And basically argues like they weren't inept. Like when they became sort of the Atari Democrats, the Clinton Democrats, the Third Way Democrats, um, this was not just like them being like short sighted or inept it was also not just like cold calculated uh political kind of maneuvering they had a, like a very coherent ideological project to reframe and and change government like they really did want to kind of outsource um government services government itself would just basically be an agent to like synergize private solutions um, and it's, i think sometimes we think of it as just like them, like being opportunist or like kind of stupid. Uh, but there's a coherent ideology there. So I, I really like that that episode. The book seems cool. Very, very cool.
1: Uh, Marino? Uh,
2: I've been uh, kind of busy recently. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to disclose much more than that because I'm doing a bit of a uh, two-face sort of uh, split lives kind of thing. Very but I've been reading cool, a, a lot for... As part of a new endeavor that I'm part of. Uh, insiders will know what I'm talking about. Uh, but in terms of personal reading, I'm trying to get back into it. I was reading some comic books. Uh, I read The Death of Doctor Strange, which I would highly recommend more than either of the movies as an introduction to the character. It is sort of like getting back to reading like the Jakarta method, which I'm nice. is just like at the beginning parts of. Uh, other than that, I've been watching a lot of. Seinfeld and 30 Rock I think Seinfeld's finally just starting to click now that I'm in my 30s and have some sort of like adulting experience for lack of a better term you know there's the, the, a great podcast about adulting we all know this is adulting uh
5: <laughs> but, I. No, is, this adulthood. About,
3: is this adulthood is yeah this you don't even listen mm. to
1: it oh wow what? It's, it's,
4: and it's you know, over it's,
1: it ended thank you for reminding me I like that podcast but that's it for me, Eric. Uh,
4: oh, I gotta say, I think I, I I'm gonna uh, disclose Marino's secret. I know because I saw the what's keeping him busy is he's joined Jonathan's case Frolf team. I saw him yeah. in the park. <laughs> he's just like not inviting you guys because you know because because Barbara knows who you are, Jeremy. So it would just make things kind of weird.
1: Right, yeah that's, fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's my record that's my recommendation for this week my first at least this week is uh if you're barbara k sue jeremy you coward yeah, <laughs> you
5: yeah to do it the
3: i i i'm i'm waiting for uh paperwork in the mail so pepper shot babs
1: <laughs> so i do have a couple recommendations um other than darts and letters uh great podcast everyone should listen to it there's a good team working on that um there's a couple podcasts that I'm uh, I'm a part of these days that I think you guys should check out. I mean, one Big Shiny Takes. We all love Big Shiny Takes. You're listening to an episode right now. I think you should listen to more episodes, and then tell your friends about those.
3: Yeah, go into the archives if there's an episode you haven't heard. Yeah,
1: listen, listen to, to all it. of them. Listen to them at before the same you time. listen to
3: any other podcasts.
1: Yeah, uh, except for Darts and Letters. Uh, there are two other podcasts I'm working on these days. Uh, one of them is called short circuit it's the podcast done by the hoser which is a local journalism outfit out in toronto it's a show about labor housing and food security in the city of toronto and it's very good we're working on a new episode it's going to be all about the election and all the good things that happened in the election i'm just kidding it was really bad um so that episode is going to be coming out in the next little bit uh keep watching for that and then uh I'm also the producer on Tech Won't Save Us these days. And uh, I feel like if you like tech journalism, you should listen to Paris's show because it is very, very, very good. And I am on the next episode being all shy and happy because I got picked to be the producer. And that's funny and embarrassing for me. So give that a listen too. What's Paris like as a boss? Um, much nicer than you and Marino. You guys yell at me more. <laughs> good. Respect. <laughs> 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 alright well I guess I guess that's the end of the episode I yeah. like, this one ran a little long but it was so much fun all the way through despite the fact
2: it
3: was like, a long, I uh, think this is average
2: we've just been on call a little long yeah. we started at a reasonable time
4: thanks for the green light boys keep on living there's no G on that cause cause living is a verb
2: I'm gonna go I'm gonna go take a nice leisurely drive in my Lincoln <laughs> <laughs> oh hell yeah
1: before we go I do have to recommend one more podcast. Uh, I'm doing a collaboration with Jody from Imperial News, and we are—it's called Bad Books by Bad People. And we are going through Ezra Levant's Shakedown, which is a retelling of his time where he took on the Canada Human Rights Commission. Um, And it is horrible. It is such a tough read, but Jody is so much fun, and we are going to release it to— our bonus feed and it's also on the imperial news bonus feed so you should check it out if you have the chance let's get back to mcconaughey bits and then let's say goodbye bye (laughs) (laughs) bye bye it's big shiny
3: takes the only anti-free speech podcast big shiny takes reading garbage for your brain It's Big Shiny Takes with Jeremy Eric Marino. Big Shiny Takes are sure to entertain. Are sure to entertain.
0: All right, that was Big Shiny Takes. Thanks to Eric Marino and Jeremy. If you're new here, go check out our back catalog. And if you like what you hear, hit follow or subscribe. My favorite recently is episode fifty-seven. It's about the intellectual history of truck nuts. As in those fake testicles you see dangling from Dodge Rams, and about trucks and trucking more broadly. There are a bunch of other episodes too, so you'll probably find something that appeals to you. The usual Darts and Letters is produced by Mark Apollonio, Ren Bangert, and myself, Jake Coburn. The host and editor is Gordon Kattick, and the show
5: is a production of Cited Media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks.